This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Just a reminder that Big Mood, Little Mood with Daniel M. Lavery happens twice a week. Slate Plus members get an additional mini episode or Little Big Mood every Friday. Sign up now to listen at slate.com slash mood. Show. I am your host, Danny M. Lavery, and with me in the studio this week is Tuck Woodstock, a journalist, educator, and audio producer based in Queens. He is the host of the podcast Gender Reveal and a co-founder of Sylveon Consulting. Tuck, welcome to the show, which I realize now I didn't mention is called Big Mood, Little Mood. That's the name <laughs> of the show you're listening to. Thank you so much for having me here on this podcast, Big Mood, Little Mood with Danny Lavery. Thank you. It's just great to mention the show at the top of the show, I think. <laughs> And I'm so excited because uh, listeners won't know this, which is why I'm telling you now. These questions are not actually big mood, little mood questions. These are from Gender Reveal because last month I was supposed to do a live event with you and Maddie Lubchansky. And then instead I got COVID and stayed at home uh, and played Civ Six, which was not nearly as fun because I couldn't really focus. No. Yes, we all missed you terribly. And that's why we're reenacting the show today. That's not at all true. That I you asked have you, can we do this? And you were very gracious and said, sure. Mm. Agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited. I, you know, my, my, I'll, I'll put my cards on the table. I love gender reveal. I love the work that you do. I think you do great stuff. And I think you have cool, smart opinions. And I'm really looking forward to, to hear you uh, try to be useful to a couple of people who really wanted to hear from you and not from me, which is why they wrote to you and not to me. I mean, I got to be honest, if you had answered these questions on the Gender Reveal live show, I would have simply read you the question and then let you and Maddie take it away. So this is actually <laughs> the situation in which I do have to formulate opinions. So I'll do my best, but I was really excited to not do that. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. Well, I'll try. I, I'm happy to do some heavy lifting. I was also, one of my favorite things to do is send Maddie everything that I'm like reading and listening to from the 1920s, because I really love that. And Maddie for whatever reason, is always like getting their mind blown. And it's just like, what is this? Where do you find this stuff? Why do you do this to me? Um, and so I was just texting them uh, hits from Tin Pan Alley, uh, <laughs> including Toot Toot Tootsie, Goodbye, and Five Foot Two, Eyes of Blue. And I think I think next up, it's going to have to be Sleepy Time Gal. I mean, valid questions. Where do you find this stuff and why do you do this to me? <laughs> I mean, yeah, the second one is really like answerable itself because it gets a great reaction. And mm -hmm. I 
I would say I spend 30% of my waking hours thinking of ways to like lovingly pull Maddie's pigtails. (laughs) Not in a like irritating, I'm trying to bother you way, but like just because they're like shock and like, what is this? What are you doing? Always just makes me laugh so, so much. Wow. I'm glad that I'm not the only person for whom whenever I do something, Maddie's like, what are you doing? (laughs) I, I mean, I do without... Without essentializing, I think one wonderful trans mask slash trans femme dynamic is, look at this frog I found at recess. <laughs> what are you doing, you filthy boy? Um, it's a lot of fun. You don't have to do it, but you can, and it's neat. Perfect. All right. So anyways, that's just a little fun behind the scenes look at how we're friends with people. And uh, why don't you go ahead and read our first letter and we can try to give people advice instead of this. Absolutely. So. The subject line is Detransition They Be. Very nice. And it says, I've publicly identified as non-binary for five years or so. Recently, I found myself identifying closer with my birth sex than I have in years. My presentation hasn't changed drastically, nor do I want it to, and I still want to use they, them pronouns. I even sometimes experience dysphoria more intensely than I have in the past. But I find myself literally thinking of myself as my assigned gender at birth, and having to correct myself. This feels weird five years into transition. What gives? Am I cis now? What do I do about it? With eight question marks. Although we should, we should be fair, it's three, two, and three. Yes, in eight three question separate questions spread among yeah. three questions. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I guess I want to be as open to possibility as possible. You know, my first read of this was I find myself literally thinking uh, of myself as my birth assignment and having to correct myself and just being curious, like, well, what if you don't correct yourself? What if you just think of yourself as your birth assignment? What does that do? Does it stop you from doing any of the things that you want to do? Does it interfere with any of your relationships? Does it make you feel bad? Because you can just do it. If sometimes you idly think like, when I was a baby, they told me this. Um, That's kind of fine. It's maybe just a thought that pops up sometimes. And um, you don't necessarily have to drum it out of existence or correct yourself. Does does that strike you as as just too easy to pat an answer? (laughs) No, I mean, there's a couple of things going on here. But when we're talking about this part that you've dialed into of you think of yourself as your assigned gender at birth and have to correct it, I was thinking of it as like, Brains do weird stuff all the time. The body keeps the score. I often have thoughts about various parts of my life when I had various names, pronouns, genders, identities. Sometimes I'm minding my business and then I have a little flashback from when I was nine years old. And that doesn't mean that I am nine years old. It just means that our synapse is like fire weird. And so I simply wouldn't read too much into it one way or another, which is what you're saying, but I think from the flip side of it, like you're like, what does it matter? What does it matter if you think of yourself that way? And I'm just like, yeah, what does it matter that our brains say anything? <laughs> what what do yeah. they know? <laughs> yeah. Or like, I don't know if you want to be like kind of cis and non-binary, like do it. It's chic, like power clashing. Exactly. People do this all the time. And I think there is a a stress among certain people that they really want to figure out the best word to describe themselves. So they're like, if I'm thinking about myself as my assigned gender at birth, then I can't be non-binary. And you know, if I think of myself as non-binary, I can't be my assigned gender at birth. One foot in each, baby. Be bold. Hmm. Why not? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and I think really just what I want to caution this person against and anybody against is like, you know, if you start treating your own brain, which is just going to often manufacture a lot of idle thoughts mm-hmm. as, as like, oh, my brain is producing wrong thoughts and I must correct my brain so that it only thinks correct affirming thoughts, you're going to drive yourself absolutely nuts. You know, I think about wacky stuff all the time. I sometimes think about like, what if I was a goldfish or like I idly imagine driving my car you know, upside down through Rainbow Road. You know, it, it would be a real losing game if you felt like I need to think really hard at my own brain and say, stop having these thoughts. Um, and I think that would make you less happy, less fulfilled, et cetera. So really the only thought that I had about this one is there's there's a sort of like interesting tension between I haven't changed my presentation. I don't want to change my presentation. It feels weird that I'm thinking of myself in a manner consistent with my birth five years into my transition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I certainly don't own the word transition, but I'm just curious, like, what has your transition entailed? Sounds like using they, them pronouns, publicly identifying as non-binary, five years. Okay, that's all I've got. Again, that's not to say like, Haha, you must like not be doing stuff that you secretly want to do. I don't mean that as like a gotcha, just like that's very little information about what you've done um, or what you've, you know, sought out or what you've prioritized or or connections that you've made. Uh, It just sort of sounds like I came out and then five years have passed. And part of me feels like I'm more consistent with my birth assignment than otherwise. And, you know, you don't say that makes me feel bad outside of I do find myself experiencing dysphoria sometimes more intensely, but like it feels like the thing you're not saying is I feel like I'm not transitioning as much as I would like to. And again, maybe that is just not at all how you feel. And letter writer, like if you hear someone say that and you just think like, nope, that's not it. That doesn't ring a bell. That that doesn't feel like there's something that I haven't done or pursued or tried that I kind of want to then just dismiss it, ignore that. But to to me, this kind of reads like, here's all the stuff I don't want to do. By the way, I experience dysphoria sometimes. What do I do about that? And and to me, the obvious question is like, well, if if you don't want to change your presentation and you sometimes experience dysphoria intensely, those are opposing forces and feelings. And you can prioritize one over the other. You can try different things to see if uh, prioritizing one at one time and then another at another time feels better. You can just say, I'm going to be a mix of contradictions and see what shakes out. But like those things are in tension, not necessarily total opposites, but they are in real tension. And it sounds like so far doing what you have done has not resolved that tension in a way that feels really satisfactory. So the question I think that stands open to you is, do you want to try something else? Yeah, I read part of this a little bit different. When it says my presentation hasn't changed drastically, I thought they were saying, like, I'm non-binary. I started identifying closer with my birth sex, but I haven't changed my presentation drastically back to my birth sex is what I is what I thought was happening. So they basically, oh. I thought they were saying, like, I didn't detransition. Because they're saying, like, my presentation hasn't changed drastically and I still want to use they, them pronouns. Mm-hmm. Um, so my thought was... They're saying, I did indeed transition and I'm experiencing dysphoria more intensely, but for some reason, I still keep thinking myself as my center at birth. In which case, I still think your advice <laughs> applies where you can still always say, transition a little more as a treat. Why not? <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, I think that's why my take on it is sort of like, well, if nothing has changed except for your brain is giving you intrusive thoughts, I wouldn't worry about it too much. But if it's the other thing and it's like I haven't transitioned at all, (laughs) what do I do with my cysts? Transition a little bit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That is useful because I I think that's a really good point. It could read either, I messed with my presentation ages ago, later came out as non-binary and it stayed consistent this whole time. Or it could be, uh, I used to be super gender conforming. Then I came out as non-binary, didn't change anything about my presentation. Now it's starting to chafe. And it, you know, it's not like, oh, if I knew what it was, then that would like d- define the answer that I would offer. Just like there is tension between I don't want to change my presentation and I experience more dysphoria than I used to. And sometimes, you know, things that work for a while don't work forever. And we have to consider whether we want to try to change them or whether we're willing to sort of like pay the toll of this used to work better. I still don't want to stop doing it, but it's not going to work as well as it used to. And then you put more duct tape on it. And that's kind of a shame, but, you know, your two options are really change something or don't change something. And if you decide I can't change something, you'll probably experience some more dysphoria and you'll probably have some thoughts about distress uh, or, or feelings about your birth assignment that you maybe don't love. I don't have a great solution to those feelings other than transition about it, just because in my own experience, that's what's been the most useful. Not that it's been perfect. Uh, or that it changed everything. I started HRT five years ago, and a really nice guy in my neighborhood called me a lady this morning. Not my favorite, but it's also like, you know, that's what the serenity prayer is for, right? Like, well, what mm-hmm. are the things I can change? What are the things I can't change? One of the things I can't change is how other people read me. And so, you know, it, that's not like a magical bullet either. You could take a whole bunch of testosterone and people will still be like, hey, lady. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's a nice guy. He means well. It wasn't my favorite thing in the world, but I was still able to like enjoy the underlying interaction. And I feel happier uh, taking HRT than otherwise. So I would say on balance, I'm, I'm not exactly, uh, it's, not, it's not suffering here, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I guess that was just to say like, as somebody who is five years into like a hormonal transition, I still sometimes experience dysphoria like this morning when a really nice guy who was trying to connect with me about owning the same pair of shorts said, are you the lady with the same shorts as me? And, you know, again, it was was really like, oh, man, I feel so both like you're clearly like, you know, gesturing towards uh, a shared sense of identity here and also just really not picking up what I'm putting down. And again, it's not his fault. He's not doing something wrong. Right. Um, But it's very funny. Like, it's not like, boy, five years ago, I started HRT. People should just understand the way I see myself now. Like, no, you still got to live in the world and you're still going to have like, you know, experiences with dysphoria or distress or whatever you want to call it. No, absolutely. I feel like uh, this is a great example of sort of the eternal struggle of advice questions, which is that we get like one and a half pieces of information and we're trying to build a whole life around it. And we're like, well, let's build you a flow chart. If you feel this way, then do this. And if you feel this way, then do this. And if you're this kind of person, then do this. And it's like, hmm, I don't know. I'm just making up a guy to give advice to. <laughs> but- yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, I, I think that's, kind of all I've got on this one, which is just sort of a balance of like, it's okay to have strange thoughts. If it's not causing you a ton of distress, but it just like crops up, I wouldn't worry too much about it. If it does cause some distress and you do find yourself thinking like, I do kind of want to change some things, but that would invite other problems or issues. Then, you know, you do have to do the work of figuring out, you know, am I willing to take the risk of changing or not? 
And then, you know, I don't know. For me, the best thing that I ever did to help with feelings of MI6 was starting HRT, getting top surgery, changing my name legally, changing my pronouns to he, him, living my life as a man. Um, that really helped. That's not the only thing that helps, but that really helped me. So I recommend it. And now you're a cis man. Congratulations. I'm um, a cis man who sometimes gets called a late. And again, it's just like the beauty of like, it was truly remarkable. It's like, hey, you're that lady with the same shorts as me. And I was just like, you know what? I am. I am. To you in this moment, that is what I am. And I have a different understanding of myself. But you know what? We do have the same shorts, man. I mean, I think that that is like kind of the beauty of getting secure enough in your transition is there is more space for you to use whatever gendered terms you want for yourself and know that they're correct. Like I can, you know, call myself a girl for a fun bit and it's not going to make my head explode. Whereas if I was first transitioning and I was non-binary and I was getting uh, read as female 99% of the time, I probably wouldn't want to make a joke about me being a girl because I would be like, what if someone gets the wrong idea and they think that Mm -hmm. it's okay? You know, so I think that's another thing to this letter writer is like, is it too close for comfort if you get some distance from it? Will it feel actually better that your brain is sometimes doing that? Because you're like, okay, sometimes it is fun to call myself whatever it is. In my case, like it is fun to to refer myself as a girl for the fun joke that I'm doing or like the life experience I'm referencing having girl autism or whatever, you know? But Mm -hmm. like that doesn't have to like destroy my entire sense of self. Yeah, yeah. And again, you you never have to make any kind of joke if it feels too harsh or feel any particular way. And I've certainly had times when I've had a different sort of reaction. But yeah, I mean, I think part of the reason that it felt like, you know, a little bit bruising, but mostly okay, was I have the life that I want. You know, most of the time, most people implicitly go with he, him, or sir. And so again, not my favorite, but it's like, mostly my life is where I need it to be. Mm-hmm. And so the occasional mistake just feels kind of like, well, not all of it, but it's fine. It's it's a fluke. Back before I had, you know, come out to most of the people in my life, which I realize is not the letter writer's position, but like before I was trying HRT and before I was like changing my wardrobe, it felt a lot worse because it was happening all the time. And I felt totally unseen by the world at large. And that's different from, I want to be able to manage how everybody experiences me all of the time, which I think is also a problem we can sometimes fall into and it's not a good one. But, yes, totally. So anyways, that's that's me and my shorts. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. All right. Our next 
letter. The subject line is stop and start over. And the letter says, I am a middle-aged, early in transition trans femme, and I'm trying to figure out how, if at all, to come out online. Part of my early career was being extremely online, and I developed a 10,000-ish following on Twitter and via my own website. It's not a huge part of my career right now, but it is a useful professional network and calling card. Part of me just wants to close the old accounts, start new ones, and be an anonymous civilian on social media who shitposts about cats. Another part of me says, why shouldn't I come out on Maine? I worked hard to build that network, and it might help keep me employed into the future. Then a third paranoid part points to all the shit trans women have to deal with online, and I'm like, no fucking way. Do you have any advice on how to figure out whether it's worth it to come out to 10,000-ish, mostly cis men on Twitter and how to minimize any possible harm? I mean, I will say, reading this letter, I was like, yeah, you've really covered the pros and cons here. Like, these are all true. So I guess I just want to say like, no, you've really covered it. These these are all true. Uh, you did work hard to to get all these people to listen to you. I personally have been helped in my career by having Twitter, so I, I see no reason why it couldn't help you stay employed. There is a lot of shit that trans women have to deal with online that probably would be unpleasant. And if part of you wants to close the old accounts and just be anonymous, that's reasonable as well. Those are three great points. Yes. Sorry, I was keeping my cat off the off the computer. No, I mean, I, th- I think part of the pause is just like we have to acknowledge like, I don't know that I can perfectly square this circle, but like, I, I really do think this letter writer, like she's got the gist of it. Those are the upsides and downsides. Which one sounds worst? Right. Well, I it's think two it things. is. You can't say worst, right? It's worse or better, not worst, because that needs three things. There could be a secret third thing though. <laughs> There's often a secret third thing. So how to minimize any possible harm? Here is my advice for that, because that's almost easier. So one is to think of the worst reasonable case, and then plan for that. Mm-hmm. And maybe that looks like assessing how do I feel about coming out online and then if it goes poorly, then just blowing up the whole account and starting a new one. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it looks like making sure that all of your personal information isn't available online. So running a sort of I'm trying to not say any specific brand, so I'm not doing Spawn on your podcast, but uh, using one of those websites that deletes a bunch of your addresses and phone numbers and emails from the internet so that if someone gets really upset and decides to dox you, you're like much less doxable and generally just doing like a personal safety check because I think that all trans people online should be doing that kind of personal safety check anyway Mm -hmm. uh, because we're just likely to be doxed uh, as people. Uh, So I think it's worth thinking about that. Again, if you think that you're a really high dox risk, which you don't sound like, then you can also warn your current employer if you are employed or people who are close to you uh, to be like, hey, I'm going to do this scary thing online. If anyone sends you a weird email about it, this is why. These are all things you can do if you want. You can also just come out on Twitter and it'll probably be fine but I'm trying to pat out this question. So I'm giving you anti-doc strategies. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that maybe one suggestion I could offer her would be, you know, you don't have to close the old accounts, but like let them sit for a little bit and then do create an anonymous civilian account Mm. where you can shit post about cats and see how that feels. Give that a few weeks. And if you find that that really scratches the itch, you're having a good time, that's great. 
And then you can always keep the other one in reserve and like pop back there occasionally. Like you could decide like, okay, I'll come out on that account and then just keep that one more to like slightly professional stuff and do my more fun stuff elsewhere. Or you might find like, you know, oh, wow, in this like new civilian one where I'm out, uh, I get into a lot more fights with people because they're like weirdly aggressive towards me and this sucks. Maybe that means I don't want to use my other account to come out. Um, Or maybe that's like stiffened my spine and now I'm like ready to go. So just you can kind of take your own temperature on that one and then make the bigger decision with the more like established account a little bit further down the road. But that's kind of a nice way to like take a test drive. I don't recommend like starting an account for the sole purpose of like, let's see if people on the internet will be nice to the idea of a trans woman (laughs) and then like getting your votes in. Don't do that. That's you're going to have a bad time, but, um, you know, see how you feel. And then that way you, you save the higher pressure decision for a little further down the road. No, I think that's incredibly good advice. Uh, an important thing to know about gender reveal questions is they are mostly incredibly old. So I do actually know how this one turned out. Do you want the oh real my answer? God. Yes. Also, thank you so much for just keeping that in your back pocket until now, because I feel delighted. Like you brought me a birthday present, even though it's yes, not of course. birthday. So the answer is this person decided to just come out on Maine and it went great and every single person was nice to them. That's the real actual answer. That's Uh, amazing. And I talked to her about it and she was like, yeah, I was overthinking it. And then all of a sudden I was like, YOLO. And I just did it. And I was like, you know what? That is low key the answer to 95% of all gender field advice questions is I was overthinking it and then I decided to just YOLO and it went fine. (laughs) That makes me so glad. Especially because like, I feel like a lot of people who use Twitter a lot feel a certain like obligation to say like, it's a hell site. Don't do it. Get away if you can. As if we're all there against our own will. And like, sure, sometimes there's some career pressures to do it. But like, generally speaking, for all of its many faults, I enjoy having a Twitter account and I have a reasonably good time there as long as I make sure to practice like some basic principles around like yep. not getting into too many fights. And so I'm really glad that she's also been able to have that experience and like it is possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yay. Oh, thank you so much. Of course. Yes. Very happy to see it. And I'm glad that uh, we couldn't even possibly lead her astray if we had wanted to because she already did it. But uh, it, all, it turned out great. It up. Yeah. I like this idea. Maybe I'll just start answering really old advice questions from people who are like now dead. <laughs> Should I board this new boat called the Titanic? Oh my God. This week on Big Mood Little Mood. <laughs> Amazing. I love this idea. We're going to rebrand. Um, If you have a moment, I have a quick lightning round question and then a question that I cannot for the life of me answer and I want to like farm out to listeners, specifically listeners with children, because I just don't trust at all my own reaction to this one. Wow. Very exciting. Yeah, of course. Okay, cool. So the subject of the first one is stop me if you've heard this one before. I have kind of a unique situation for some context. My partner and I are both trans, but neither of us knew we were trans before we started dating. We both figured out we were trans around the same time. She's a trans woman. I'm a non-binary trans mask person. And we're navigating this together. Downside to this is that my partner has said some transphobic things that often hurt me. And I feel like she is just staying with me out of convenience and codependency. She has told me that she is not attracted to me when I present masculine. And often says things like, trans people aren't real when she has panic attacks about her identity. I can't help but feel I'm a burden on her transition when she often complains that it stresses her out when I talk about being trans. I love her so much and I think she's a beautiful woman, but I'm afraid she will never feel the same about me and my gender. How do I navigate this situation in a way that benefits both of us? I wrote in my notes, 
Break up with your girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I just like, I felt like we were going in a certain direction. And then for it to end on how do I navigate this in a way that benefits both of us, that frankly felt a little bit like I'm about to step onto the Titanic. What's your <laughs> advice? Like, that benefits both of us. Like, this uh, break up. You can't benefit both of you. This is a bad relationship. And like, it's not a unique situation at all. Your, your <laughs> yeah, partners. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I feel bad. I don't mean to like tease this letter writer. No. It's just, I think often when we're in a really bad relationship, but we love the other person, we want to believe this is really complicated. This is really unique. No one else has been through something like this to make the obvious answer seem less obvious. But like, she doesn't like the fact that you're transitioning. There's no way to square that circle. She thinks it's bad and unattractive. And your options are agree that it's bad and unattractive and don't do it, or agree that it's bad and unattractive, do it, but be ashamed and furtive the whole time, or three, break up with her and don't be miserable. Yes. The thing about this type of question is that more often than not, it comes from a trans person who is dating a cis person. And Mm -hmm. I give the advice where I'm like, hey, if this cis person is holding back your transition because you're scared that if you transition they won't be attracted to you anymore. We got to find someone who is so hyped about you and your actual gender and is not going to make you feel like you are doing a terrible crime to them by transitioning. This is not actually different. I understand how it feels more complicated because there is an extra layer of like some of this is her own internalized transphobia about herself. And when she's saying trans people aren't real, it's not to hurt you, it's to hurt herself, but it's also hurting you. And But, but you still got to be with someone that doesn't make you feel like shit. You know, even if she is a beautiful, wonderful woman and you wish her all the best and you want her transition to go smoothly, you got to be with someone who doesn't treat you like shit or multiple someones who don't treat you like shit. Right. Um, Because there's just no way for us as trans people to like fully know what we want for ourselves if we're constantly calibrating to be like, what is the smallest amount of transition I can get away with without hurting the people around me? You know, that's the never going to be like our the truth. The theater. Yes. Uh, the smallest, I believe that Daniel M. Lavery wrote about the smallest amount of fries from the order of fries. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, just think about that a lot. <laughs> I, I love, I love my food metaphors. So that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. And you know, just like, if, if the only thing that we're going on was sometimes she has panic attacks where she says kind of messed up stuff like trans people aren't real, I would maybe have different advice because, you know, you know, if somebody's like having frequent panic attacks and saying kind of wild stuff that's clearly like mostly directed towards themselves, you know, I, you would maybe have some different options of like how you could work with or ameliorate some of that. But that aside, you have like, like letter writer, and I mean this with deep, deep sympathy and compassion why do you want to be with someone who you think is only with you out of convenience and codependency and isn't attracted to you? Why do you want that? Like, if I were in a relationship where I believed that, I would be running for the hills because I would feel terrible. Even if I loved that person, I would not feel tempted to stay because staying would be so, so misery-inducing. And so I think a question to kind of work on and not to beat yourself up over, but just to say, how do I do whatever work I need to do to make sure the next time I date someone, if I think they're with me out of convenience and codependency and they are not attracted to me, there's no part of me that thinks I should stick around and see how this goes. Every part of me has the correct reaction, which is goodbye. Mm -hmm. Like that, 
that really concerns me, letter writer. So I would say make that your number one priority to work on in therapy and just general self-development after you dump her, which should be the second you listen to this podcast. How will they know to listen to this podcast for their advice from the but, other podcast? God damn it. <laughs> I'll have to let them know. Start uh, listening to every podcast <laughs> just in case. Just in case. I mean, the good news, the good news about a lot of these being really old is we can just believe in our hearts and souls that they already broke up, you know? But I really because hope this so. is not a unique situation, we can also believe that this will be helpful to many other people uh, who also need to leave their relationships where they feel bad because this is not a unique situation. So yeah, it all works out. But yeah, we just, we sort of have to hope and pray that either they find this podcast in the sea of all podcasts or, or uh, they, they already took care of it. I can't do this. Yeah. 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 Which please. I have to believe is we're probably at that point. They seem self-aware in the letter to an extent. Like they seem self-aware that this is not a good situation. So yeah, hopefully yeah. they got there. Oh, uh, yeah. Letter writer, good luck. Please break up with her. She sounds like a fucking asshole. <laughs> And she still deserves health and She's safety. She's having a hard time, okay? Fuck that. Everyone's having a hard time. That doesn't make this cool. I like, know. Like, there's no, there's no amount of hard time that makes it cool to say to your partner, hey, by the way, every time you, like, put on a button down, I, know. I just go dry inside. Like, <laughs> no, again, if you're true. not attracted to your partner, like, break up with them. But even then, just say, like, this isn't working for me. You don't have to tell, like, there's no reason you have to give someone the information, like, you're no longer attractive to me. Like, that's just cruel. No, it's true. And it it really then messes up people for many other relationships often. Like when you get that piece of feedback where one person is like, I'm not attracted to you when you present in this gender, it messes you up often. I shouldn't speak for everyone. It can mess people up in all your future relationships. So yeah, just keep it to yourself. You can just break up. You can vary. It's not you, it's me, which would be true in this case. Um, and just mind your business. But right. And anyway. it's absolutely, I, I feel like it's totally fine if somebody's starting to transition and you're just like, listen, I've like given it the old college try or I've really thought about it. This isn't flippant, but like, I'm not attracted to that. Um, sorry, like that, like it's transition. But like, if they're <laughs> like, like transitioning into a gender that you're not into, <laughs> um, like if you're not into men and someone's like, I'm transitioning in like a manly direction and you're just like, I'm so sorry, that doesn't do it for me. I, I need to wish you the best and release you so you can be with someone who is. Um, that would be the sort of like one caveat. But even then, you don't have to be like, every time you get near a tie, I just, you know, <laughs> feel repulsion. Like, you, there's just no reason. That's just rude. It's not cool. Because the thing is, we get from gender reveal, and I understand that it's like selection bias, but we get so many questions that are like, how can I as a trans person be accommodating to my partner as I transition? And we so rarely get a question that's like, how can I be supportive of my partner as they transition? You know, and I really think that's worth uh, considering a little bit. Yeah. All right. So this last one, I mean, I welcome your advice too, but I just really feel like I want to hear from people with kids and I want to hear like swimming teachers. Like, Wait, do I have this question? No, this is unbeknownst to to you. This is a surprise to you. Okay. So the, the subject line is sensitive swim parent. I took my daughter, who's five, to her first swim lesson yesterday. She's a cautious, observant kid who takes her time learning new skills, so I thought that the water acclimation class would be good for her. When the class started, the parents were asked to move to an observation deck out of earshot, presumably to avoid distractions. I could see that during the lesson she was being pushed out of her comfort zone to try new things, but a few times I saw her cry and shake her head, then tentatively dip her face in the water after the instructor spoke to her. 
After the class, when I asked her what happened, she said she told the instructor, I don't want to put my face under. And he told her she had to. And that next week she'll have to put her whole head under. I thanked her for telling me and told her she doesn't have to do anything she's not ready for. And I'm really uncomfortable with someone she's never met telling her she has to do something she doesn't want to do. I'm ready to pull her out of the class if they're unwilling to listen to her, but I can't shake the feeling that I'm being exactly the kind of overly sensitive, pesky parent they're trying to avoid by kicking us out of the room. Should I raise a fuss, quietly leave, or toughen up and guide her through it? I I just, I don't know, you know? And I feel like the one thing I'm kind of aware of is like, kids drown sometimes, and that's really dangerous. And they sometimes drown like in swimming pools. So probably you should be more careful there than if it was like a ping pong class mm-hmm. or something where she was asked to like, do something that like scared her but didn't pose an actual risk. So I, I'm just putting this one out there to other parents. How do you think they fall on the sort of like bring it up, just leave, don't talk about it, how to guide your child well here? Because I just, I got no idea. The only thought that I'd had was it's possible you could have done more to prepare your daughter for the water acclimation class. Not that you were going to know for sure they were going to say like, you got to put your head underwater, but if you look back and you're like, I guess I didn't really tell her what it would entail, maybe you could have done more there. But again, maybe you'd prepared her, but she's five and she forgot about it and then got there and was surprised again. So I don't want to suggest that you really fucked up so much as just someone help me because I don't know enough about children and water. Yeah. Did you ever take swimming lessons when you were a kid? I did. I don't remember the part where I had to put my face under the water or not. It does make me feel uncomfortable when we don't listen to kids about what they're comfortable with because I'm trans, so I'm biased. (laughs) I think we should listen to kids. But um, I really have no idea about anything involved in this question either. And I'm excited to hear uh, what people who know about children and swimming uh, and water, you know, the people who know the way of water, I'm excited for them to weigh in. I, I feel like, frankly, for a water acclimation class for five-year-olds, it seems to me, again, as a non-expert who is absolutely prepared to hear from like parents and swim teachers, but it seems to me that there should be a an easy way of like, if the kid's really struggling or having a tough time, we have a way of getting them out of the water because like it's water acclimation, not you've got to learn how to swim by the end of this class or we're all going to be in trouble. So like, it, it feels to me like there's got to be a better way of like, well, if you want to keep coming to class, you might eventually need to put your head under the water. But if the idea of doing that today is just like a no-go, okay. Like to me, it's like the category is like sometimes kids will be like, I don't ever want to brush my teeth. And there you do have to be like, well, unfortunately, you're going to have to because it's important for your health. But like while it's good to learn how to swim, it's not like if you don't put your face under the water today, you'll never learn. It's like you're five. This is your first time here. We could take it slow. Yeah, not to criticize the class I've never been to and don't know anything about, but if it's called a water acclimation course and your only strategy is to say, you have to do it. It's like, you've (laughs) got to have another tool in that toolbox, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, that feels very like, this is like a class where like just some random fucking teen got thrown into it. This is not somebody who's like, hey, these are my modalities. And like, here's my background (laughs) and like child swim technologies. It's very just like, I don't know what to tell you, kid. You got to put your head under. So like, that's where the water's at. So you know, just do it. <laughs> uh, which is exactly. not like, ha ha funny. Just like, yeah, it doesn't maybe sound like a, a the best possible class. But I don't know. 
my instinct is that it would probably be okay to say something. You wouldn't have to like freak out or blow up. And it would probably also be okay to just say like, all right, you don't have to go back to that. I don't, basically my instinct here is this is not going to be the one moment that decides forever whether or not your child is like spoiled, coddled, uh, you know, surveilled, helicopter parented. So maybe there's other areas in your life where you want to like walk back some of your anxiety to make sure your kid never has to suffer an inconvenience. But I really don't think this one swim class is going to be the thing that like 20 years from now, your kid has no coping strategies, no survival abilities. And it's like, it was the swim class. Yeah. So that's nice. I guess I did have some opinions. I did take a swim class when I was little. And mostly what I remember was being asked at one point when they were trying to teach me how to like do the front crawl, I guess. Um, was they were like, what's your favorite food? And I felt really put on the spot. I was like, I don't really have like a favorite food. There's a lot of food. I like a lot of different foods. Uh-huh. But I knew like you need an answer. So I was like spaghetti. And as soon as I said it, I was like, this is fucking inauthentic. I know my favorite <laughs> food isn't spaghetti. And now they're going to make this whole to-do about spaghetti. And it's going to make me feel even more alienated. And and yet I have to say it. I have to give them the instrument of my own alienation. And so the whole rest of the class, the swim instructor was like, reach for the spaghetti. Reach for the spaghetti. And I was just like, I'm not that motivated by spaghetti. It's pretty good. But <laughs> frankly, it was kind of like the lady with the shorts thing. It was like, I'm I'm sowing the seeds of my own alienation. And I don't really know what to do about it. And maybe that's just how sometimes like society works is you have to submit to a certain degree of misunderstanding in order to go along and get along. Holy shit, I feel like I just had a breakthrough. You really did. I really was Damn. like, that's actually kind of the whole thing that you just did. So congratulations. Yeah. Really it has nothing there. to do with this swim lesson problem. <laughs> so I'm really sorry, letter writer, that I couldn't be more helpful, but you really helped me today. So that's great. Uh, Absolutely. Again, any experts in water safety or child care <laughs> Please, please, please write in with some thoughts because I, I am clearly flailing. Tuck, how you feeling? How did this go? I feel great. Um, I had a great time. Did we reveal anything about gender that felt new to you? I feel like we revealed a lot. And I feel like we really got somewhere there at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, and so that's almost teaching me that instead of answering questions from trans people, we should be answering just a chaotic grab bag of questions. And that does get us closer to the truth about gender. Uh, So I'll take that into consideration for my own podcast, a podcast about gender. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Where could people who listen to this podcast and think, I'd like to listen to another podcast where Tuck talks about gender more of the time, where would those people go? What would you encourage them to do? Yeah, you can find me every week, except for right now when we're between seasons, but almost every week (laughs) on the podcast, Gender Reveal. It's also at genderpodcast.com. And we have so many spinoff projects such as a grant, a mutual aid program, a merch shop with an incredible new shirt by Maddie Lipchansky, friend of the pod who we discussed at the beginning, Mm -hmm, um, of someone uh throwing a basketball through someone's irreversible damage hole. So you've got all sorts of options if you go to genderpodcast.com or really just find us where the Gender Reveal podcast, not Gender Reveal the concept, um, which is bad. We don't like that. Unless, unless... <laughs> Go on. Unless you are, you want to reveal your own gender. We oh, do yeah, like that's that. that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah. I don't want to, you know, rule out all gender reveals. Um, if you, Danny, wanted to do a gender reveal in this very podcast, I would support it. I just want to be clear about that. I, I feel like everybody kind of already knows mine. <laughs> Maybe you'll get a new one is what I'm saying. You know, maybe we'll invent some new ones and you'll be like, I like that one. 
I don't it's like buy a, whole bunch a boy of but with girl shorts, and oh you like God. that one. They're not even girl shorts. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, I was just. <laughs> They're men's shorts from the men's department. I know he has the same shorts. I was just bullying you. I also just really want to stress once again that uh, I, Danny Lavery, do not advocate getting eating disorders. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I didn't think you did. It's just good. a common, just wanted to clarify. It's just a common problem amongst our kind. And so I always like to do a little disclaimer that sometimes when you are transmasculine person, you go a little bit too hard. Absolutely. And if it makes you feel bad, you're not having a good time, go home, stop. go do no. something else. Take a nice little stroll, call a friend, look at a bird. Eat some spaghetti, put your face in some water, but not if or you like, don't want to. Talk to a professional. I like that now I'm like, <laughs> I don't encourage eating disorders, but here's how I think you should treat them. Watch I'm Talented just Mr. Ripley. Off. Watch Talented Mr. Ripley. I'm qualified to treat nothing. I'm simply a, a friendly amateur stranger. And I, I have no qualifications. So within that remit. Stranger. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna take myself off the air bye. before I start just inventing diseases. Um, bye everyone. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice or conversations with our guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe you need some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our big mood, little mood listener question form or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. I don't know. I think this is, again, one of those things where I just read the question differently because my understanding was not so much like I am longing towards something that I don't have as I'm having a hard time when people who are not me have a trait that I do have. <laughs> and there is just not that much you can do about that. Sometimes people's bodies are going to look like your body. So that one's almost more challenging because if you're striving for something, then you can take steps to strive towards that thing, right? Like if you're like, I don't want tits anymore, you can <laughs> move towards getting that surgery. But if your thing is actually, I do want tits, I just don't want cis women to have tits, that one's harder, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> Yes. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.